morning, everyone. Just so you know, we're having a bit of issues with the sound system today. So this is just my voice today. Um, if you can, I'll, I'll try to project as much as I can. Uh, if you cannot hear me, please, uh, just plenty of space in the front. Move forward as much as you can, and uh, I'll to do my best to uh, be nice and loud. The passage for today is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 8, which is on page 811 of the Black Q Bibles in front of you. Before reading it, I'll give everyone a chance to turn to it. Now, last week, we started a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. We began by discussing the prayer of the hypocrites, and Pastor Steve taught us the dangers of the hypocritical uh, prayer, uh, where we want to be heard and seen by other people so that we can receive the glory rather than praying to God so that he can receive the glory. The solution Jesus gives us is to pray in private and secluded places um, so that we can give our focus first to God and his glory. Today, we will discuss the attentiveness of God. I think all of us wonder at some point or another whether God is listening when we pray or whether he cares. Is God a distant, detached God who might not hear our prayers or perhaps he's just too busy to pay attention to what we're going through. How attentive is God? Our answer to this question impacts the way we pray to God. I want to give you a workplace example. Have any of you guys ever sent a fax? I personally hate them. Uh, a fax machine is just a scanner. It takes an image of your document um, and then sends it electronically to another fax machine somewhere else in the world. Uh, the reason I hate them is because I never know if the person I'm sending it to ever actually gets my message. The fax machine does give me confirmation of the fax going through, but it's not quite the same thing. Uh, in my office, for example, there are 30 staff members at least and one fax machine, which means often people send me faxes that just never get to me. Uh, so this knowledge doesn't help me. It doesn't give me much comfort when I send faxes. And this doubt leads me to send faxes in a very special way. When I send a fax, I end up trying to hunt down the person I send a fax to. By email, phone, I leave messages, I call them to make sure that they got the fax. In the same way, if we see God as someone who may not be getting our messages or a God that is so little concerned with us in our lives, that will also show in our prayers. I would even say that it's not enough to know that God is involved and concerned we need to know how deeply and intimately God is concerned and concerned um, and involved in our lives. When we know that God is attentive, that will show in our prayers. Let's read the passage now together. Matthew 6, verse 7 through 8 says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that it will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Your God's name we pray. Amen. This passage here has one command. 
which is don't pray like the pagans by heaping up empty phrases. And then Jesus gives us two reasons. The first is that the pagans think that they will be heard for the many words. And the second reason is that God already knows all your needs before we come to him. We're going to touch each of these points in turn, starting by explaining what it means to heap up empty phrases to God, and then we'll pick apart the reasons that Jesus gave us. By the end of our time together, I want you to understand God's provision and care for you. Finally, I'm going to use the word pagan a lot. In the ESV version we just read, uh, the word was Gentiles, and some translations use the phrase the nations. Uh, So when I say pagan, I'm referring to people who do not believe in Christ, people who are not Christians, who are praying, uh, uh, who worship idols. Okay. I want for us to first be able to clearly understand what Jesus is getting at when he says heaping up empty phrases. It's unclear what the word actually means in the original language, the Greek, because not only is it not used anywhere else in the Bible, is also not used anywhere else in any of the writings of its day. Some historians believe that the word Jesus uses here is a word play based on a person, kind of like the word Scrooge from uh, A Christmas Carol, the character Ebenezer Scrooge. In the same way, the word Jesus uses might be a word play, um, and it might refer to one of two people, either a King Baptist who was known to stutter or a famous poet of their day, Baptist, who was known for his long and tedious poems. This is why some of the translations use vain repetitions or empty phrases. Other historians believe that is not a wordplay at all, that perhaps it's just an onomatopoeia, which is a word that sounds like its meaning, like the word bam or buzz. Jesus might be saying to the people that they should not be ba 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 buying in their prayers. This is why some of the translations use the word babble. In either case, the meaning has to do with being unnecessarily wordy, pointlessly repetitive, and mindless. The pagan worshippers prayed this way, with repetitions and many words, because they thought that their gods were far off. They prayed so that they could get the attention of their gods. And since they worshipped many gods, often they were trying to get the attention of the right gods, They would even recite the list of the gods, um, just go down and listen to their prayers. Uh, Or they would recite certain phrases in a certain order and in a certain way in order to get the gods to do what they wanted. It was a mindless and formulaic way of praying, uh, not only to get what they wanted, um, to get the gods' attention. The mentality was, if I say this the right way or the right number of times, then not only will I get the God's attention, but they also might be pleased enough to do what I asked. We see this in 1 Kings chapter 18, where Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal. Elijah wanted to prove that Baal was a false god, and the god that he worshipped was the one true god. So he proposed a test. Each side would take a bull, cut it in half, and pray to their god to send fire to consume the animal. The god who answered was to be worshipped. The 450 prophets of Baal went first, and they prayed all day long, from morning to evening, crying out to Baal, O Baal, hear us. They were so desperate to be heard that they even cut their own bodies to get Baal's attention. Over and over they did this, babbling on throughout the day, until the last, the end of the day came. And the Bible says, there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. 
Now, when we pray to God, we're not praying to an idol. And yet, we still have a tendency to pray in these pagan ways. The pagans prayed this way because, as Jesus says here, they thought they would be heard for the many words. It's not the many words that are the issue. It's the purpose behind them, to get God to listen. When we pray in such a way that we think we can persuade God or really get him interested based on how long we pray, the, using the right words, or perhaps by the level of emotion that you use in your prayer, I think we're getting pretty close to what Jesus is telling us to stay away from. This is heaping up empty phrases because we think that by them we will be heard. Do you pray at all, to any degree, with the thought that you can bend God's ear to you based on your level of eloquence or the time you spend praying or the level of desperation or passion that you're praying with? If so, don't pray like that anymore. God does not listen because of how well you present yourself to him or how convincing your plea. Then why does God listen? When Jesus preached these words, I think he wanted the people and he wanted us to ask this question. If we're not heard for our many words and for the way we present ourselves to God, then why are we heard? But before we answer that, I want to answer another question, which is, is praying with repetition wrong in and of itself? Should we avoid praying with emotion or praying for long periods of time? The answer to each of these questions is a strong no. There's nothing wrong with these things. I can imagine many situations where repetition is even appropriate. I remember times of sorrow in my life, the most heart-rending of experiences, where the emotional repetition before God was the only thing I, I really could muster. And I remember times where I was excited and alive with joy, thanking God and praising Him with repetition. And sometimes we're going to pray the same things day in and day out, over and over, just because the things that we pray over are so important to us. We can look at Jesus also as an example. He prayed with repetition at times, and most famously, during one of his most emotional moments, the night at the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And the Bible says that Jesus woke his disciples on many occasions and each time went back to praying, praying the same words. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. The Bible also says that Jesus on this occasion prayed with intense emotion, that he was greatly distressed and troubled and that Jesus was sad even to the point of death. He was praying so hard and so earnestly and with such agony that he began bleeding, uh, sweating, drops of blood. He was probably praying for hours throughout the night. So if Jesus prayed with repetition, with intense emotion, and for long periods of time, then we as his disciples should not shy away from these things either. There is nothing wrong with these things. What Jesus is telling us here in this passage is that we should not use these things to manipulate God into listening to us and doing what we want him to do for us. When we pray in a way that we're, trying to get, uh, that we're trying to manipulate God into listening, 
uh, I think we misunderstand God and who God is and what prayer is in two fundamental ways. I think this will help us answer the question, why does God listen? Why does he hear us? First, we forget that God commands us to pray. Let's look back at Elijah. After the prophet of Baal had their turn, Elijah then had his turn, and this is what he prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Elijah says here that he was sent by God, and that everything he did that day and everything he said that day, including his prayer, was at the command of God. This is an often overlooked aspect of prayer, that prayer was God's idea from the beginning. Prayer is not a human invention. It was given to us as a gift by God because he wants us to pray and it pleases him. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 says this, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for us is to be praying continually. And as our Heavenly Father, it brings him great joy when we do so. So God commands us to pray. The second fundamental way we misunderstand God and prayer, leading us to pray like the pagans, is when we forget that God also enables us to pray. This is important because our sinful nature, sinful nature makes it so that we can't connect with God in any way, including through prayer. Last week's scripture reading was from Psalm 66, which says this, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, then the Lord would not have listened. And the Bible is full of this theme. We also read from Psalm 34, verse 17, that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. God does not listen to sinners. They think they will be heard for the many words. But Jesus makes it clear that they will not be heard because of their sin. Sinners then need God to enable them to pray, which means that he must first take care of our sin problem, which is getting in the way of us being heard. We need reconciliation. Second Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that uh, we've, uh, God reconciled us through Christ, not counting our trespasses against us, because on a cross, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God enables us to pray through Jesus because through him we're reconciled to him. Our prayers are heard when we're found to be in Jesus by faith. For those times when we doubt that God is listening or that we're being heard, for those times that we doubt whether or not God is attentive, that that facts go through, we need only remind ourselves of what God had to do in order to open the prayer lines. The possibility of salvation through reconciliation was an intense and purposeful project that required much attention and care from God. Let's consider together the absolute depth of what God has done to allow us to pray. First, God sent many messages to us, preparing us for salvation through the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament, 
that all point to Jesus. Then he sent his true eternal son to become man. And Jesus shed his glory in amazing humility. He was then tempted and tried and suffered his entire life, just like any other person would, bombarded from all signs with temptations, and yet amazingly never sinning. Rejected by men, he was crucified for no good reason and took on God's wrath completely for us on the cross. Which, by the way, none of us understand what that really means because we've not experienced God's full wrath ourselves. But Jesus did comprehend what that meant, which is why he was sweating blood that night before he was um, arrested. And yet, Jesus went to the cross anyways. And there he died, winning a place for us to have true life in God's loving presence. Then God raised him back from the dead so that he could uh, serve us and uh, rule us as our king forever. Then God gives us faith so that we might trust in Jesus. Then he gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to conform him more and more into the image of his son, which includes the desire to pray. And then, after all that has been accomplished, this great project of enabling Only then does God tell us, he commands us then, to pray. Are you getting an idea of the complexity and what a great undertaking it was just to enable us to pray? When seen in light of this gospel, the idea that we can get God to listen by our words just doesn't make any sense at all. We don't worship a God who has his back uh, turned towards us. We worship a God who wonderfully orchestrated our well-being through Christ. We don't need to fight to get God's attention like the pagans do, because God has already fought for you. So we see in this passage a wonderful comfort and encouragement. In Christ, and when I say Christ, I mean those who put their faith in Christ and committed him as their Lord and King. In Christ, God always hears us. When you doubt that God has listened to you, just remind yourself of what God did through Jesus to allow you to come before his presence In prayer. Of course he's listening. Now, let's turn to the second half of this passage. Jesus says, don't pray like the pagans, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Here, Jesus is referring to our physical and material needs. And he's addressing another way that the pagans prayed in the wrong way, because they thought that their gods were far off. They prayed as if they needed to tell their gods what their needs were, and to also pray that the gods meet those needs. When we pray, we often can't help but feel like God isn't listening to us because uh, our prayers often go unanswered. We just don't always get what we pray for. My guess is that at least one of you here today feels like God hardly ever answers any of your prayers. I think Jesus addresses this concern here. The pagan prayer is one that not only is bent on persuading God and trying to get his attention, But it is also one that is a concern primarily with um, our own needs, our own wants, our own desires, and our own concerns. These prayers tend to be selfish. We often think that if God isn't answering our prayers, it's because he's not listening, when most often the issue is that our focus is misplaced and our attention needs to be refocused towards God rather than towards ourselves. Even as redeemed Christians, I think we have a tendency to pray in this selfish way, in an inwardly focused way. If you're coming to prayer most often to ask God for something you want, if if that's the main purpose of your prayer life, 
then you probably have pagan prayer tendencies in your prayer life. The prayers are not focused on God, which means that as soon as we get what we want, we stop praying. Sometimes we even forget to thank God. Or as soon as we realize that God is not going to answer our prayers in the way we wanted, then we lose interest in praying. What brings you to prayer? In the next several weeks, as we go over the Lord's Prayer in detail, please answer this question to yourself deeply. What brings you to prayer? How do you pray and what motivates you? Do you tend to be focused primarily on your own needs? When are you most likely to pray? I ask these questions because if you primarily go to God when you need something from him, then your prayer life will be lacking and and Jesus would have you learn a new way of praying. Jesus wants you to pray in such a way that you believe down to your core that God already knows your needs. And the word know here means not just a head knowledge. It means that he um, is already addressing and attending to our needs in the way he sees fit. Later in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses this point with a little more depth down in verses 25 to 34, which says, and I'll just read a portion. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This passage shows us that God is in control. And God is aware of all the situations we face at any given time. God has already considered all of our needs, and he's more acquainted with our needs even than we ourselves are, in an intimate way. So when you pray, it's not as if God needs to be informed of what's going on in your life or about what you need. If your prayer life is primarily focused on asking God for different things, then I think you're kind of missing the point because prayer is not a tool to get what we want and prayer is not a way of informing or updating God about things going on down here. We should be seeking first the kingdom of God even in our prayers. Now, I imagine someone might be wondering, are you saying we shouldn't ask God for things? Are we not supposed to go to God with our needs? Yes, absolutely, we should. I want to make this very clear. We should be praying for our needs. We should be praying for each other's needs consistently. And we should be striving to meet each other's needs to the extent we're able. The Lord's Prayer does not exclude this, which is why Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Yes, pray for your needs, pray for each other's needs, and strive to meet each other's needs whenever possible. But knowing that God first has perfectly known each of our needs, this therefore can help us find contentment in all situations, and it also frees us to pray for other things also. And so that we're not in confusion as to what these other things might be, Jesus goes on to say, pray then like this, or pray in this manner, And he gives us a famous Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus shows us how to pray. He gives us a prayer that he wants us to emulate. And we're going to go into this again more deeply in the next several weeks. But for now, I do want to say that the Lord's Prayer is a beautiful prayer that is focused first and primarily on God 
And secondarily, it is a prayer focused on our sin and our need of Him. Therefore, Jesus is teaching us not to be like the pagans when we pray, in terms of coming coming to God only because we're concerned solely about our needs and how we will be taken care of. Go to God as true worshipers, eager to worship God, your Father. If you struggle with praying in a more inwardly focused way rather than in a God-focused way, or maybe you're not sure if this is something that you struggle with, then I want to give this recommendation, this challenge. When you pray, and I'm talking about the kind of prayer that Pastor Steve preached on last week, private, secluded prayer. When you pray, don't ask God for anything to meet your needs until the end of the prayer. Keep it to the end so that you don't find yourself jumping into prayer with a bunch of requests for yourself. Rather, start with a focus on God, on being aware of God, praising Him, thanking Him, revering Him. Make it a God-centered prayer first. Then, when you're ready to present God your request for yourself, put it off a little bit, and instead, ask God to meet the needs of other people. Then, when you're ready to present God for a request for yourself, put it off again. And confess your sins to God. Ask Him for forgiveness. And ask Him for the strength to repent. We pray each week as a congregation, a prayer of confession. But make this a regular part of your prayer life also. Then, last of all, present your request to God. And trust in His sovereignty. As you pray more and more in this way, your happiness and contentment will rest more and more in God and who he is, rather than in what you have or what you lack. And the things that are so important to us that we pray frequently over will more and more become aligned to God's will and his heart. Before closing, I want to make one final note about the Lord's Prayer. Since we're going to be learning about it more in the next several weeks, I want to give a caution. The Lord's Prayer can be recited, and it's a great prayer to have memorized. Only, I find it ironic that the Lord's Prayer is probably one of the most mindlessly recited prayers of all time. This is even though Jesus introduced it by saying not to pray mindlessly like the pagans. Reciting the Lord's Prayer without conviction, or expecting it to have some awesome spiritual benefit for you just because you recited it, or expecting that God will show you more favor, that His presence will be with you more, Simply because you're reciting the Lord's Prayer is not what Jesus intended at all. These words have no special power and provide no special grace to anyone who's speaking the words. The power in any of our prayers is not found in the words we pray. It's found in God, who commands and empowers us to pray. The pagans so often thought that their prayers changed the gods that they prayed to. But we find that it's the other way around, isn't it? God uses prayer to change us. It is because God is so great that our prayers mean anything at all. And it is the object of our prayer, the person of our prayer, that lends the effectiveness to our prayers. Knowing this makes it very easy and natural for us to pray, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name, which is the passage that will be preached on next week. His name is holy and powerful. Because of God's greatness shown to us through Christ, There is no doubt that he's intimately attentive towards us with extraordinary love and caring. That he's opened up the prayer lines 
and that he meets every single one of our needs through Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Our great Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We are grateful and thankful that you are a God who knows our needs long, infinitely in the past before we do. And Father, we thank you that you are a God who not only knows what we need, but in your sovereign power and goodness, you provide everything we need according to your perfect will. We thank you that in your love for us, you take joy in providing those things that we need. And so, Father, this morning we ask that by the power of your spirit, using your word preached to us this morning, you would change our hearts and our minds. That you would teach us what it means to pray deeply, earnestly, and truly to you. Father, we pray that you would remind us, that you, remind us continually that you know our needs before we do. That you have the hairs on our head numbered. There is nothing that escapes your sight. Father, remind us of that when we pray. Remind us of that as we go throughout our lives and the circumstances and events take us by surprise. We thank you that they are not a surprise to you. And Father, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you effect the necessary change in our hearts to help us to pray well, to pray humbly before you, to pray knowing that you have everything set out perfectly for your glory and our good before it even happens. Father, help us when we do pray to not heap up empty phrases, to not think that uh, the, the words that we say are what affects change in you because nothing can affect change in you. You are perfectly immutable from all time. Father, use our our time of prayer to conform our hearts and our wills to your will and to your word. And Father, we thank you that you infinitely care for us. Help us to cling to that. Help us to be changed by that. And it's the name of our Savior who who dealt with our greatest need on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together hymn 463, Your Rock of Angels, left for me.